0: You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit Rccjax.com Thanks for that welcome. That makes me feel really good. Um, let's just start out with a word of prayer. Lord, we just come to you today just, um, just wanting to hear from you, and um, we just need you to be active and involved in our lives, and um, I just pray that you you would come by your spirit and uh, lead us in power, that you would be the one um, speaking to us today. I I ask, Lord, that you would just open our hearts um, to the word that you have for us, and um, we just love you and thank you in advance for what you're going to do. So it's high school, end of my junior year, and I'm in the high school gymnasium, and me and a bunch of girls are sitting in the bleachers and we're all a ball of nerves and we've got our hair high in ponytails and tied in ribbons. And I know what you're thinking, um, that you had a burning question on your mind this morning when you woke up. What happens inside of a gym in a high school um, cheerleading tryout? So I'm going to tell us today so we can move on and go to the beach and have fun. Um, it. In front of us, there was a long row of judges, and they sat with their clipboards, and we were all in the bleachers waiting our turn to perform, and what happens is you get on one side of the gym, and you run out, and you do your tumbling, your gymnastics, and your shouting, and your cheering, and your jumping, just like you would do on a football field in a football game. So... um, The competition was really tough for my senior year tryout. And up to this point, the first three years, I did my go-to gymnastics move, which was a a round-off back handspring. And um, I wanted to go for something a little bit riskier my senior year, and my gymnastics coaches were uh, encouraging me to go for a backflip. And I'd been working on it with them for months, and I'd gotten it down in the gymnastics gym, which has springy floors, but I had never done it in my high school gym, which has hard floors without a spot. And so all week long, everyone was watching me, you know, trying to get this flip. And I always had a friend standing there with her hand out when I would run and do it. And so, um, you know, my turn comes around and everyone is quiet during a tryout, okay? There's no cheering except for the person that's trying out because the judges are evaluating you. So it's kind of like dun-dun-dun, all eyes on you. So I get on, on the side... I run, I build up speed, I plant my hands on the ground, I swing my legs around and I spring off my feet and I nailed that backflip. And everyone in the gym went wild. All the girls in the stands, I went wild and it was just like this wonderful moment in the spotlight. And that's how I started off my senior year. It was kind of like my blaze of glory. Um, I did well, um, I excelled at a lot of things that year. I had a good GPA. I was accepted into my top choice school. And meanwhile, um, when a couple pounds crept up on me, instead of losing the five pounds I needed to lose, I lost closer to 20. I exercised too much and ate too little. And I have this specific memory of one of my guy friends coming up to me and taking me and lifting me high in the air above his head and saying how, that I was light as a feather. And all of those achievements and all of the attention I got and the accolades, I just took it in and it was like I put it on like an outfit that I was never meant to wear, um, the outfit of a high achiever and a good performer. Somewhere along the way, I bit into a lie. Life is about you and what you can do. That's a lot of pressure, because when you perform well, things are good, but, you, but when you don't, um, things are bad. My senior year of high school, I performed well, so I was high on life, and then I left for college and everything changed. I chose a university at the top of what I could handle academically. I signed up for too many classes and most of them early in the morning. I quickly found myself in way over my head. And instead of speaking up, up, I stuffed it down. Uh, Overeating became my chosen way of coping with sleep coming in as a close second. And so I alternated between... um, sleeping in and missing classes and feeling really down on myself and really depressed. And that was kind of the true me, the inner me. And then um, the other side was my good performer. And I would put that on just like that outfit and I would um, recommit to making up for my sins. I would study hard, I would eat well, I would exercise a lot and drive myself like a slave. That first semester though, in spite of my good efforts, I tacked on 40 pounds and I had a 1.9 GPA. And I just want to tell you, at this point, when I told Antley this a couple of months ago before he went on sabbatical, he was like, you gained 40 pounds? You gotta put a picture up of yourself. <laughs> I was like, I don't think I'm quite there yet. Um, <laughs> you get the idea, though. I'd planned on nailing college like I nailed that backflip, and instead, I choked. I developed a dual personality, the outer one that I showed everyone, and then the inner one that was scared and in hiding. The weight and poor grades were just symptoms of a bigger problem. I didn't have an identity that was built on stable ground, something beyond myself. Here's what happens when we do that. We keep ourselves center stage instead of making God our focus. And here's the mental picture that I get. It's like we're in a theater and there's a stage just like this one and there's the stage hands in the back and they've got the spotlight and it's like it's focused on me. And um, you know whether things are high and things are going well and you're succeeding or um, you're having joy in your life, you know that can keep the attention on you. And then even when you're low and you're failing and you're down in the dumps and um, you allow just the the pain and the pressure of life to get to you, when you're focused on the outer life more than the inner life and your relationship with God and making Him center stage, the natural result is just you become the focus of your life. And, um, oh, there it is. And so in diagram form, um, this is kind of what I came up with. And this is my word nerd side. I just loved that I came up with three words that started with the same letter for the top and the bottom. But I tend to overcomplicate things. So just kind of think of that as the good stuff or the bad stuff. Um, but think about, you know, I know that not everyone can relate to um, the idea of a stage. And I don't want you to, to, to think that you have to be on a stage to make yourself this, the star of your own show. Um, this could be that you just like things your own way, um, that you tend to rely on yourself instead of God. This could be that you like to control things and you like to figure things out, or um, you like to insulate yourself from risk and from pain and keep yourself protected. Um, also, you know, it's possible to live like this without being a jerk, because I really don't think anyone would have said I was a huge jerk. Um, It wasn't like I walked around really boastful, but when I thought about, you know, how did I live the first 20 years of my life, this is really what I came up with. The focus was on me, and my question is, where is God in this? Um, He's on the outside, he, you know, I'm, I'm making everything about me and I'm not letting him break in and touch me in a real way and, and do something that pulls my focus off of myself and onto him. And so it's real, it's possible to do this in your life, even while knowing God. I was a Christian. I became a Christian at a young age. Um, but I would say this is how I functioned. This is an identity of, uh, excuse me, this is an issue of focus and identity. It's just, where's your focus? Where's the focus of your life? And where are you taking your identity from? This is not a new issue. Um, This has been happening. This can't can't be blamed on Facebook necessarily. Um, It's been happening since the beginning of time. And today I want to look at a story um, from the Old Testament. It's about Jacob. And Jacob's story um, takes up a few chapters. It starts in Genesis 25. If you want to look there, you can. Um, But I'm going to summarize a lot of it for you. I will say, this has become one of the most fascinating stories the more I look at it. And just to um, get you excited about it on the front end, I don't know of another story in the Bible that goes into the family dynamics quite like this one, of the mother and the father and the dysfunction. And, you know, we all have dysfunction in our lives, um, but if you feel that way, this would be a great story to look at because um, there was some serious dysfunction in in this family. Just to give you a background, um, Jacob was Abraham's grandson, and Abraham, um, you know, had received the covenant from the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to go with you wherever you go, and I'm going to make your descendants like the stars, and so Jacob had a heritage of faith, but he was a twin, and his brother's name was Esau. Now, Esau was born first. He came out of the womb first, and Jacob came out second. And it's almost like from the very beginning, Jacob was concerned with outward achievements. The Bible says that he literally came out holding his brother's heel, clutching onto it. It's like he's saying, you're not gonna make it out first. I'm gonna be right on your heel. Um, The Bible also says that Esau, the older brother, was a hunter and an outdoorsman. And Jacob was a tent dweller, which is kind of like a homebody. And the Hebrew um, translation is literally um, macho, versus mama's boy. <laughs> um, I, that was my attempt, a poor attempt at a joke, but I, yeah, that was my translation. Um, I like to think of this just, the Bible says literally that the father preferred Esau, the outdoor guy, and the mother preferred, obviously, the homebody, because he was hanging out with her. And so it's like, from the beginning, Jacob didn't really have the full approval of his, of his um, earthly father. And so you can see how that would kind of set him up for grasping at things from the beginning and wanting his father's blessing. And a lot of what Jacob did, he did through deception and cheating. And his name literally means he takes by the heel or he cheats. And so he stole his brother's birthright. He blackmailed him out of it. And then he also tricked um, Esau out of his uh, his father's blessing. And so in this culture, it was a really big deal for uh, the father when he was getting close to dying to to bless the eldest son. And it was kind of like, I was reading that it's almost like it put him in a special covenant relationship with the Lord. It kind of passed on that covenant relationship to the eldest son. And there's this scene in the Bible that I'll just describe quickly where basically um, the mother finds out that Esau is going to be getting blessed by his dad. And she says, quick, Jacob, go out to the field, get some game. I'll make it. For your uh, father, and you can go in and dress up like your brother, because his brother was very hairy. Some of you probably remember this from childhood stories. And so he puts on animal skins. And he goes in and he presents himself to his father. And he, and the father is blind at this point. And he says, who is that coming in here? And he says, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. But his father doesn't fully buy it. And he says, come here, I need to feel you. You know, your voice sounds like Jacob but as he comes close, he feels his arms, and he feels the hair, and he says, okay, you know, the voice is Jacob's, but it must be Esau, because the hands are the hands of Esau, and he questions him again, are you really my son Esau? And he says, Jacob says, I am, and in that scene, it's like I can just see Jacob slipping deeper, and deeper, and deeper into this duality, and putting on these animal skins, and and these clothes, the clothes of his brother, um, the outer life that he's grasping for and grabbing for that doesn't belong to him and and was not the identity that God meant for him ever to have. Um, And so he, he gets stuck in that duality. I think it's safe to say that Jacob was a striver and strivers work and grab at things that they don't have instead of resting in the gifts that they already have. And that's a good place to just ask ourselves, you know, what are we grasping at instead of resting in who we are? Um, Do you feel like you have to be more than you are or different than you are? Or do you compare yourself to others around you? It doesn't have to be a sibling, um, just, you know, people in the media, people next door um, that you think have a better life than you or a more attractive life than you. Um, Do you feel like you have to work things up and earn your way? earn love and acceptance and approval. Esau finds out what his brother's done, and he wants to kill Jacob, okay? So he's just had his blessing stolen, and he is ticked. And the parents naturally want to protect Jacob, even though he's a cheater. And so they send him away, and they say, you know, go on. We don't want your brother to kill you. And so he leaves. And basically, during this time, um, the Lord really reveals himself to Jacob, and he says that I'm going to be your God and I'm going to be wherever you go. I'm going to be with you wherever, wherever you go. And so he renews his covenant with Jacob. Um, and that's special. So he starts his life basically in a new land. Um, he gains wives. He has kids. He gains a lot of wealth, a lot of livestock. And some of that is gotten through shady means, but that's another story. Um, But later the Lord comes to Jacob and he says, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. So at this point, 20 years have passed and he hasn't seen his brother since he stole his blessing. He starts his journey back and he gets word that Esau is coming out to meet him. And, okay, I just want you to, in case this is a lot of story with a lot of detail, so just kind of put yourself in this place. You haven't seen your brother in 20 years. Last time you saw him, you seriously tricked him out of his entire inheritance, okay? And you left because you were afraid he was going to kill you. And so he hasn't seen him in 20 years. He has no idea what he's walking into. And he gets word that Esau is coming out to meet him with 400 men. And he is scared. Um, and he, he's scared for his life. And in that moment, Jacob cries out to the Lord and he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. I didn't, yeah, I don't have an overhead for this. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So, you know, here Jacob is, he's in the middle of his fear. He doesn't know if his brother's about to kill him. And he just says, look, I'm scared to death, but you have made a promise to me. You've made a promise to be with me and to, leave me, to give me land and a legacy of children. And so I'm gonna go through with this even though I'm scared to death. But something very interesting happens after this. He takes animals out of his livestock, okay? Out of each kind of animal, you know, the cows and the sheep and the goats and the, all that stuff. And he instructs his servants. He says, go on ahead of me and go on and meet Esau. And take each group of animals and give Esau the message that I'm coming from your brother. This is a gift from your brother Jacob, okay? And so I just want you to picture this. He sends drove after drove of animals on ahead of him, and this is where I begin to wonder if Jacob is trying to hide. It's like he's sending layer after layer after layer ahead of him, and it's kind of like he's not content just presenting himself the inner man without the outward stuff, to his brother. And he feels like he has to hide behind his wealth and behind his gifts, possibly under the disguise of generosity, because he's, he's scared and he's in hiding it. And it reminds me of how I hid in college with my extra layers of protection and the added weight that I had. So it seems Jacob is buttering up his brother and this is where I want to pick up the story, okay? Um, this is in Genesis 32. And he says, um, Jacob says, I'm, or he, he's thinking, I may appease him with the present that goes on ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead, and he himself stayed in the night, that night in the camp. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He's still going after that blessing. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked the man, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask him my name? Why do you care about this stuff? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. There's a lot in that passage. And, um, I just want to take the pressure off that we're not going to leave today fully understanding that passage. (laughs) Um, I want us to get a bird's eye view and a big idea of what's going on. First of all, I think it's really significant that all of Jacob's stuff passes on before him and he's left alone for a whole night in the camp. It's kind of like he came, figuratively speaking, he came to the end of himself. He was in a place of not having anything to cover himself up with, not having any way to hide. It was just him. And that was when God appeared to him. And scholars say this was actually Jesus, which is kind of amazing to think about, but I'm just going to say it's God because it's easier for me to think that way. Um, So what happens is, you know, this man appears and they end up wrestling. And you know that somewhere along the way, Jacob realized, oh, this isn't my brother Esau coming to kill me. This is like someone other than a man. This is, I mean, he must have had a moment where he realized this is the divine. This is God. I am having an encounter with the Lord. And finally, finally in that place where God has gotten his attention, where God has gotten him totally alone, he says, will you bless me? Don't leave this place until you bless me. And so, all this time, he's been grabbing at the stuff of of the world, and he's been wanting the blessing of his earthly father. And in this moment, he says, I need your blessing. And, you know, God asks him, what's your name? Well, he obviously knew his name. So it's kind of like God is saying, I want to know who you think you are, and then I'm going to tell you who I say you are. And this is what I think, uh, I want to read this so I get it right. This is kind of what I think God said to Jacob in that moment. I know you like to grab at stuff. It started in your mama's womb. I want you to bring your ambition to me. I want you to put your expectation on me. Instead of grabbing stuff out there, I want you to grab onto me. Okay? And and that's what um, the Lord is saying to us today. Um, with me, you don't have to pretend that you're someone else, that you're your brother or your mama or your sister or your friend. Don't put the animal skins on your arms. Don't add the extra gifts and the layers of protection. No duality. Just you. Come to me. You know, in this scene, um, the Lord touches his hip and his hip socket is put out a joint. And they say that that's like the equivalent of breaking um, a quarterback's arm. It would have basically rendered a wrestler useless so that he was not able to go on the offensive. And I just have this picture, you know, I mean, wrestling is an intimate sport. I mean, they are all up in each other's business. Okay, they are like, you know, it doesn't get any closer than that. I asked John, do you know of another sport where it's more intimate than wrestling? I mean, I I don't, you know, I couldn't think of one. And so just, I, I just picture this moment where they are just body to body pressed and wrestling all night. And, you know, it says that, he's going to rename them. Um, you've been striving with men, but now you're going to strive with God. And here's what I think about that. It's not like Jacob overpowered God and, and, and you know, he beat God, okay? It's, it's he's saying, Jacob, I know who you are. I know you. I made you. And I'm going to take that ambitious side of you. I'm going to take that fiery and feisty side of you and I'm going to have you press into me and I'm going to meet you there and I'm going to press into you and I'm not going to let you go. I'm not trying to change the person I originally made you. I'm just trying to, for you to move your ambition onto me. And it's in that moment of his hip being out of joint that he is completely helpless, completely dependent, completely surrendered to the Lord. Almost 20 years after high school, I went to a house meeting there was this Friend of ours, Antley Fowler, there, and these weird people from London. And, you know, John and I were really skeptical, um, but we'd heard they did this thing called prayer ministry, and we weren't so sure about it, but we were like, what the heck? We'll go. We'll see if the Lord has anything for us that we weren't aware of. And so we go, and this is my first time ever receiving prayer ministry. And, you know, we get the whole spiel about say and receive and put your hands out like penguins. And so we stand there, and Eyes closed, no one's looking at each other, and I keep feeling like this. Got to make sure I'm not going to fall off the stage, and I'm just falling forward, but I'm resisting because I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is my imagination. I don't know if it's God, um, but over time, I I gave into that and I surrendered because every single time I would go for prayer ministry at these house meetings, I would fall forward. And, you know, here's the thing about that. It's really not what's going on from the outside that's important, because let's face it, that looks a little weird, I'm sure. Um, it was really what was going on on the inside that was important. And I felt like the Lord was just trying to get my attention. And so I began spending a lot of time on the floor, um, you know, dirty carpets at the city rescue mission in London, in my home. I spent a lot of time on the floor and much of that time was weeping. And I just felt like the Lord was just taking all the distractions away and taking the focus off of me and my own striving. And I can relate to Jacob. He's ambitious and there's nothing wrong with being ambitious and wanting to do well okay? But it's just, is that where your focus is? Is that where your heart is? Is that where your life comes from? Is that where your identity comes from? Because if so, that is not a stable, stable foundation to grow from. Um, not stable at all. So anyway, during that time, I just felt like the Lord was um, basically just getting my attention and just showing himself to me, And I felt loved and I felt accepted and I felt approved of without having to work it up, without having to do anything to earn his approval. Um, You know, I think when you see people and you hear about stuff like this, you think, oh, there's some big word and, you know, the Lord revealed himself and he gave me a new name. And, you know, in those moments when I spent on the floor, there was no big word that I specifically remember. Um, It was more just eyes on me, eyes on me, you and me. It's kind of hard to be distracted when you're laying face down on the floor. Um, and I got caught up in the mystery and the wonder of who he is. And that's what I love about this passage, um, in the Bible. I love that scholars say they don't fully understand what happened there and it can't fully be explained. And I guess my encouragement today is just, you know, I could stand up here until I'm blue in the face, and I really can't accurately describe what it's like to be consumed with the Lord, but I do know that in that place, I fell in love with him, and each day since then, as he speaks to me, and he leads me, and he guides me tenderly, you know, whether it's in the laundry room or up here on the stage, he is drawing me to him and saying, it doesn't matter, none of the other stuff matters, it's just me and you, me and you. And so, um, you know, earlier I said I'd been into that lie that, that life is about me and what I can do. I remember the most memorable teaching from a woman at RCC in the early days. She said, life isn't about you and what you can do. Life is about God and what he can do. And just learning that and experiencing him has really helped my, me shift my focus. And um, Ryan, if you wouldn't mind putting up that other diagram, um, it kind of shifts and switches to God being the star and God being center stage and me taking that spotlight that's been aimed on me and moving it onto him. And then the stuff of life, you know, that seems so important is on the outside and it's kind of like we're in the zone. And I just want you to think about, you know, what is it? that takes you away from focusing on God. When when I put up that earlier slide, I said, you know, the pressure and the problems and the pain of life, it's easy to get stuck there. And, and we should grieve the things that hurt us and that are painful. And um, when I think of pressure, I just think of stress. I tend to get like a ball of nerves, stress, and just kind of let that run my life. And let me just keep, all the balls in the air, and then I'll be okay, and I'll approve of myself, and I'll perform well. But that is a dead end. That is a dead end life. That is no way to live. You will get stuck there, and even if you don't think you're having that spotlight on yourself, that is the result. When you get stuck in the pain and the disappointment of life, and you put it on like clothing, and you go on and live in that clothing that you were never meant to wear, it's hard for the Lord to break through that and just say, no, this is about me and you and who I made you to be and the person that you are and that I love you and I accept you and I approve of you. I want to rename you. I want to take who I've made you and all the muck that got put on top of it. I want to undo it and and let you go forward in freedom And the point of all this is not—you can take that down, thank you—the point of all this is not to just say, like, I'm this perfectly healed, whole person, and, you know, it's wonderful. The point is to worship the Lord. The point is to build our lives around Him, to build our lives on the rock, a firm foundation. And so um, I just want you to think about, you know, what is it in life that is grabbing your attention or that you're actively grabbing for instead of grabbing onto God? And just that picture, that wonderful visual picture of Jacob grabbing Esau's heel, that was the way he entered his childhood home. And then when the Lord took him back to his childhood home, he spent the night gripping onto God. And what an incredible shift that was. You know, sometimes in order to move forward, and put our focus on God, we have to go backwards sometimes and think about, you know, was there a place in my life where I got stuck? Is there a place in my life that I'm stuck now? Am I focused on something that's gotten me stuck? And Lord, I just ask that you would reveal that to us now, that you would reveal those places and that you would heal those places and that you would bring us out of the stuck stuck areas. Um, we're gonna have a time of ministry And if you wouldn't mind standing, I'm just going to lead us into that. Because I was here in the very, very early days of RCC, I knew what it looked like. And none of us cared what we looked like. It was all new, and we didn't care what we looked like. And that was what the Lord did he got me in that place of not caring if my mascara was running, not caring what other people thought. It was like he was saying, I'm, I'm going to get your attention and you're going to take your focus off all this other stuff. And I would, you know, that's, that's where we want to be is just seeking moments with him as opposed to moments in the spotlight. And so Lord, um, we just invite you here now. We just invite your presence, Lord. Come Holy Spirit. Just fill this place, Lord. Renew our minds. Reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Show us who we are in you. Just feel like the Lord wants to surprise you today.